Hey everyone, Jeff here from besttechie.com and this is Techie Bytes episode 57. Today I'm speaking with Pedro David Espinoza, internet entrepreneur, angel investor, and co-author of Differences That Make a Difference. We discuss diversity and inclusion in the workplace, including in-depth conversations about the gender pay gap, implementing policies such as blind interviews, and how diversity helps your bottom line. Enjoy. I'm here with Pedro David Espinoza, who is the co-author of a book called Differences That Make a Difference, uh, where he's also an internet entrepreneur, an angel investor, he's been a TED speaker. Uh, so he's got quite the background and I'm really excited to have him here on the podcast today talking about a very important topic, which is diversity in the workplace, pay gap, things like that. Uh, and his new book, uh, Differences That Make a Difference, uh, that he co-authored really focuses on that. So Pedro, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for being here. Jeff, thank you so much for having me here. It's an honor to share the insights and grateful for this opportunity. Yeah. So before we get started uh, and before I get to the first question, just briefly kind of summarize with this new book that you guys uh, came out with, uh, what you did, uh, you know, what was the methodology uh, involved in, in, in gathering the research and things like that. Yeah, definitely. The philosophy behind it was with my co-author, Jorge, we wanted to not only include our voices, given that he is a baby boomer and I'm a Gen Z slash millennial, but also create this collection of diverse voices. So I had the honor of interviewing and working along with over 150 executives and leaders, ranging from Eric Schmidt, who used to be the CEO of Google and Reed Hastings, the founder CEO of Netflix, but also on the government side, like Michelle Lee, who was the, the executive director, the undersecretary of commerce under Obama. And the philosophy behind that was we wanted to ask and gain the insights of the leaders in different spaces on what the temperature of inclusion is today. And while we've come a long way, there is still much work to do. So that was the mindset behind it. Nice. So now let's jump into talking about it, a little bit about who you are and what you're doing currently. So obviously you just got this book uh, out there and what 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 other things have, uh, le- you know, what led you to, to write this book in the first place and what are you doing uh, on a day-to-day basis today? Yeah, yeah. Great question. I grew up, both my parents, we are all immigrants and we're from Peru. And so I, I was raised in Peru until I was 18 when I came to San Francisco to Silicon Valley six years ago uh, for school. I went to Berkeley and my mom's an engineer and she's also a business woman and an entrepreneur. And my sister, Karina, is a doctor and uh, my other sister is a, a businesswoman as well. And my dad is an immigrant as well and he's a business leader. So given that I was surrounded by like powerful women and I grew up in Peru I was sort of expecting that was normal for me. That was the standard. But when I came to the tech field and here in Silicon Valley and, and corporate America as well, there it was the opposite, right? There are more CEOs named John than the total number of women CEOs. And is that is that is that a real stat? I had no yeah, idea. Yeah, it is. That's crazy. It is. And like less than 1% of venture capital goes to Latinas, right? So, Mm -hmm. yeah, I was astonished. I was like, wow, this is pretty bad. And like (laughs) San Francisco is one of the most progressive places on earth. But like, yeah, they don't really walk the talk. backwards in that sense. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, that inspired me to to write this book. 
And my background, I've been, when I was 19, I was a summer student at Stanford and I started a, a software as a service startup called Smiley Go. And being a, a Latinx entrepreneur myself, I got invited to speak and join boards, given that there are very few Latinx entrepreneurs. So that really inspired me to write this book. Gotcha. No, I mean, so I think, I think, you know, we're at an interesting place in, in, in the tech industry, but also just in, like, as you mentioned, corporate America, where we're dealing with, you know, la the lack of diversity in, in the workplace. And, and, and one of the things I, I've seen, and, and I've read, uh, you know, and, you know, stats that kind of that back this up, essentially that women led businesses just perform better overall. <laughs> and so you would think you would want to get more women on boards, more women in executive positions, um, and, and that's starting to happen. I, I think that you're starting that, that you that we'll talk about more in a little bit. Um, but it's taken quite a while to get to get there, as you've uh, alluded to. Yeah, and going even further, Jeff, in the book with my co-author, we focused more on inclusion and on diversity of thought mm -hmm. and diversity of experience, because that's really what makes the difference is having people that think differently and compliment you. Right. Like rather than uh, focusing, overly focusing on, OK, let's have one Latinx person, one woman and like one veteran or LGBT. It's it's more of diversity of experiences and thoughts. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. So so before we move on, let, let's take let's take a step back for a second. You and your co uh, your co-author, Jorge, uh, what you you obviously you set out to do this book, to write this book. When you first like like first day starting to plan this out and talk to people what did you what did you think you would find out did you and, and did you expect that the interviews that you conducted with over 150 people both male uh, uh, and female uh did you think that they would provide as much insight as they as they ended up providing no no <laughs> many of these people opened up in crazy stories both inside the office and outside the office on the topic of future of work and creating a culture of inclusion. Uh, in the beginning, I remember the first CEO I interviewed, his name is Bill Coleman, who's a good friend of mine, and he was the founder of BEA Systems and the CEO later in his career of Veritas Technologies. And I remember the insights he gave me because he is he went to military college and he's a veteran as well um that like he was talking about how at veritas they were forcing uh mentoring and it didn't work and so his insights were that we shouldn't force uh, mentoring or ergs we should encourage them so it's more natural and genuine and absolutely i wasn't expecting uh, people to be as open and as vulnerable and it was it was a blessing <laughs> yeah the, I think I think that's I mean, if because if they weren't right, then you wouldn't really have much information for your book, I guess. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. And people yeah. were sharing stories, Jeff, and I think that's what the audience and that's what the individuals like, right? They don't want too many stats or facts, but people remember anecdotes. And so when right. we were talking to, like for example, like Jenny Dearborn, who used to be the chief learning officer at SAP. Like she was sharing how she had dyslexia growing up 
and how she had to face that adversity in college and she went to Stanford and I think she went to Berkeley and these top world renowned schools. However, she had that uh, I guess social disability, if you can call it, right, for lack of better words. So absolutely, I think I love stories and, and gathering these stories in the book and working along these outstanding leaders was a humbling and honorable experience. Yeah, and, and also, to be clear, there are also stats in the book that you've compiled as well, right? Because for, for people who are interested in that kind of stuff as well, in, in addition to the anecdotes and the stories. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. We've, we have worked with different uh, research, both academic and also consulting, like business research from McKinsey and Deloitte and Ernst & Young, um, as you said, right, like female-led businesses and having a, a minority like Latinx or Native American or African American in your board, how it boosts productivity. Yes, yes, it's both uh, research-driven and also anecdote-driven. What do you think is the, the the most surprising thing you 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 found out through these interviews when you were conducting them? Great question. When I was chatting with Anita Sands, who also wrote the introduction for our book, uh, she is a board member at Symantec and Pure Storage and ThoughtWorks, and she was mentioning how language really matters and how we how we name things, how we call things really matters, and we have to be flexible. I'll give you an example. She was explaining how a lot of corporate boards, especially in the Fortune 500, they have a requisite that for you to be a potential board member, you have to be, you have to have CEO experience of a publicly traded company. And unfortunately, that requisite already uh, weeds out already blocks the vast majority of women, right? And, and, and Latinx and, and other minorities. But she was saying if companies are a bit more flexible in the sense that today, many, many executives of Fortune 50 companies, of Fortune 100 companies that are leading a business unit of this big company, like for example, the CEO of AT&T Business, or the CEO of Toyota Latin America, right? These are business units within a large company. Right. And many of those positions are being led by women or Latinx or veterans. So that P&L, that revenue of that business unit is equivalent to a revenue of a Fortune 500 company. So what Anita was saying is, if companies are a bit more flexible when it comes to recruiting board members, they can absolutely have many more qualified women and immigrants and Latinx and, and refugees on their board. Yeah, I, yeah, I mean, I those those types of rules that are that have been put in place at companies certainly make it difficult for uh, minorities to kind of break through, right? Like, in, you know, including women, as you mentioned, because they're that. They just weren't. They haven't been, uh, you know, CEOs of, of, of many public companies yet, and there's just not as many out there, you know. And, and relaxing those rules a bit and looking. At, I mean, in a way, they're still they're technically like the CEO of, of that business division, right? So like, you know, and, and, and it's responsible for a large amount of you know of revenues for the actual company. So I think that makes a lot of sense. 
because essentially what they're doing is they're running the company, but just in a specific, you know, region or or division of the company. But exactly, yeah, and what and what you had alluded to before with that McKinsey uh, Diversity Matters report, which came out in 2015. Uh, it, it indicated that companies that were in the upper quartile for inclusion on their executive teams actually were 15, get this, 15% more likely to experience above average profitability than companies in the fourth quartile. So, in a, um, which is in, which is pretty incre- uh, incredible. And on top of that, uh, you know, that in 2018, it looks like that the, the, that percentage had, had risen to 21 and my question, I guess, for you is, uh, you see this number continuing to rise, and what uh, what about inclusion? Not um, you know, what about inclusion not on executive teams? Is that also important in your opinion as well? Because like we're Absolutely. talking a lot about high level executives here, but but obviously it needs to be something that's instilled within a corporation, a company uh, at the top and all the all the way down, right? Absolutely. And that's the mid-management crisis <laughs> or the mid-management cap, for a lack of a better word. Um, I remember when we were chatting with different contributors of the book a couple months ago. Yeah, like for sure, we, we should also focus on mid-management. And unfortunately, things happen. Like I, last week, I was working with a, an insurance company here in the West Coast, and they were telling me that the C-suite executives are champions for inclusion. However, their direct boss, their supervisors, were rigid and not too flexible. So yes, yes, we should extend this resource not only for the senior executives, but for everyone in in corporate America. That's why in the in the introduction of the book, we clearly mentioned that this book is written for decision makers and for future decision makers as well to make sure to include everyone, right? Because a lot of people overly focus on the C-suite executives, but it really comes to managers, directors, VPs, and everyone. So how so how would you recommend someone in the C-suite or you know executive vice president or upper levels of management? How how do they instill the values? Um, for inclusion to ensure that their, you know, that their lower, their middle management team is, is on the same page as them. And, and if they're not, you know, do you, I mean, what is it, what is the recommendation? Is it, you know, fire them and get new people in or, or like, or is there training or what kind of ways can they improve this? Training. Training is very tangible. So there is, there are quite a few great programs on unconscious bias training. And that's one of the things that my co-author and I do these days with corporate Fortune 500 companies when we speak at Oracle or Adobe this week or I spoke at Google last month. Um, yeah, on unconscious bias training because all of us, we all have prejudice, right? We all have a bias growing up because we're human. <laughs> no. And the other tangible example, and it's an easy, well, easier said than done, but it's very tangible, is make sure your chief diversity officer directly reports to the CEO. And Jeff, I can't emphasize on this more because it's crazy. I've still today in 2019, we've met with big companies. These are fortune a hundred where they have a chief inclusion officer, 
but unfortunately that person does not report to the ceo so what is that telling you that the ceo and probably senior leadership they don't prioritize it in the top right they think it's important but you know the chief inclusion diversity officer is reporting to the coo or to the cfo but not to the ceo and that's a very tangible and relatively easy way to fix things yeah i mean if you're not going to the the main the main person right if you're not reporting to the person that's running the show uh they're not in the loop in terms of what you're trying to accomplish they can't help champion that within the organization they can't do anything really if they're not really aware of what's going on so i absolutely agree that you know when you when which is what I think I was alluding at before, which is it has to be at the very top and then instilled down into the organization. Because if, if you know, because your employees see that, you're, you, that your chief inclusion or diversity officer doesn't report directly to the CEO, they're going to be like, well, why should I even care then? You know, he's, you know that person's, their, their job is kind of, you know, they say it's important, but how important could it possibly be? Exactly. And right. and that was one of the most intriguing and fascinating stories. I remember when talking, Jorge and I, when we were interviewing Reed Hastings, he was saying the top three trends that top CEOs talk about and Reed and his buddies is number one, China, <laughs> mm-hmm. number two, AI, artificial intelligence, and number three, inclusion and the future of work, diversity and inclusion, right? Because the largest segment of the labor force today uh, is millennials and baby boomers are retiring at a very fast rate. And how do we close that gap? So, right. yeah, it was super inspiring. <laughs> so let's talk about let's talk about Reed Hastings a little bit. Um, when you spoke with him during your interview, uh, he noted uh, that he's a strong believer in, 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 in a blind interview process. What exactly uh, does that mean? Can you distill that down for us a little bit? Yeah, it's it's very pragmatic in the sense that you remove the name because many times you have bias against names that are not too familiar. <clears throat> so you remove the name and then you also, when it comes to interviewing and recruiting, you make sure to have a minority who is part of the recruiting team. And this is one of the things that our forward writer and good friend of mine, Pat Gelsinger, who's the CEO of VMware, Uh, emphasizes is making sure that you have a woman or a person of color in the recruiting team to have a more diverse feedback and have a more diverse background in in approaching these candidates and these pools of talent. So yeah, when it comes to the blinding process, right, it also has to do, there are some programs which are, which take it to the next level, Jeff. Mm -hmm. And what I'm referring to that is, they are using software and machine learning and AI to make sure that they analyze all the different facial characteristics and body language of the candidate during the interview. So then it's more objective. You're focusing your evidence on the machine, on the algorithms, rather than on on your human emotions, right? And Last week, I mentioned I was talking to, I was working with this insurance company, and the other speaker was mentioning how a lot of the times the reason why women or other minorities don't get promoted or don't pass the interview 
and I'll give you an example is the, the interviewer said, oh, uh, her answers were too volatile. They were too vague or, oh, um, when I asked her what her future career plans were, she said, oh, it's in God's hands. Or when I asked her, um, what do you aspire to be? What do you love? And she said her family. And so many of these things are values that Latin Americans or other immigrants we have in common because we we grew up in a more community family based society rather than here in the US which is very individualistic but those things have nothing to do with the job responsibilities of the candidate right what she or he's supposed to do with the job <laughs> no I, I yeah i mean i think that's i think that's right on the money but I, one of the things you just mentioned though that can that i'm slightly concerned about um, is the use of AI and machine learning in this process of interviewing people, which should be, which is a very human or should be very human, but it has become much more automated in a way. And the reason I'm concerned is because if you look, I'm sure you're familiar with this, that story that came out about Amazon and how their algorithms essentially favored me, uh, men over women um, because that's, that's what they learned based on their hiring, their previous and past hiring, uh, you know, uh, that they had done. Uh, so, how, so how how do you do you have any thoughts in terms of how to balance the two, um, you know, the use of machine learning and AI along with just you know a human kind of touch to it and making sure that you know the people that are involved in the process that you have the right, the right a the right people involved, but also that. And, uh, but B, also the training that uh, that took place to ensure that, you know, their people are being as unbiased as they as they can be when, when making a decision. Yes. Well, it depends on who's coding the algorithms, right? If 90 percent of your engineering team are Caucasian males in their 40s and 50s, then absolutely it's going to have a a big bias against <laughs> women or or 20 year olds latinx or african-americans right so that's the thing if we are not being intentional on inclusion today then we are coding the future of tomorrow that are not inclusive right, right. we're coding that's, that's, future... that's what worries me right yeah yeah exactly that's why today given all the circumstances and idiosyncrasies of our society we should fix this asap so yeah i agree with what you're saying there should be a balance absolutely you you can't solely rely on these ai systems to evaluate candidates right and mm. and, and pursuing this further on the interviewing process jeff i Talking to many of these CEOs, yeah, some of them agreed, and I, I would partially agree that there is a bias to interviewing as well. You can't really tell from a 30, 60-minute interview. You can't forecast the future, right? <laughs> so what some companies are doing is they're starting some like mini projects or internships, apprenticeships, or trials to really see if they can work together and they can date before they get married. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. There, that that's certainly a a, a a method that's being used. I think more and more. I'm all, the only thing about that is, and I guess as long as long as as long as you're being paid, I guess at some point, it like if if there's a trial period, you have to be paid for that. They, you know, companies need to be, 
can't just expect people to work for free for absolutely you know x period of time which has certainly been a thing uh recently and you know in, in the in the especially over the past several years as startups have gotten more popular and more people are working for them um they've kind of went out on different limbs to try and make sure that they're hiring the right person they give you projects to do and you know you, or you come in for a couple of days and you, you you know you work with the team um and, and and that's all fine but you know paying someone to do that at that point i think needs to be a uh a, a more something that's more common um because oftentimes you, what you end up doing is by by not offering some kind of payment at some point for that type of uh you know work um you make it difficult for people who are in that in the interview process, uh, especially with minorities, to to be able to participate in that in the first place, right? Definitely. If, you know, if, if 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 you know, a young person doesn't have money to be able to, you know, to take off with their existing job to do this, for example, for no money. Yes. Yes, we have to keep businesses accountable. Mm-hmm. Speaking of paying people, <laughs> let's let's jump a little bit to the pay gap because this was actually something I, uh, that I saw from you. Um, Dan Shulman, president and CEO of, of PayPal, uh, led an initiative to close a three million dollar pay gap at the company, which is which is which is which is a great effort. Um, first, do you have any idea like how, what was involved in terms of? doing this do you have any do you have any idea in terms of like what it took to be able to to close this gap was it hard it starts from the top and, and that's the reason why we wrote this book for decision makers and future decision makers it's because ceos have the power influence and resources to fix things quick right business people mm -hmm. we are doers we're pragmatic many of us are type a energetic and hyper and so yeah and, and kudos to paypal and, and their board of directors is very inclusive and diverse um i remember talking to dan who's an outstanding leader he was sharing that <clears throat> inclusion and diversity should be a byproduct of your inclusive and global mission look at paypal right their mission is to democratize payments for the world <clears throat> absolutely as a result there has to be inclusion and diversity because they want to democratize online payments for everyone right regardless of your country of origin religion culture ethnicity so i'm a hundred percent positive that yeah dan was leading and championing this and he was sponsoring this like not only paying lip service to it, but being and holding people accountable for closing this gap. And when he was telling me how he was intentional in regards to having a better representation on his board of directors, he did the same thing, right? He was there seeking out candidates, interviewing people, sourcing talent from different pools of, of talent, um, to to get these female Latinx African Americans leaders to join his board, so yeah, I mean it's it takes work, but if you have the CEO sponsorship, then it, it's easier. And and this is a, a nice quote that I found in the book is when it comes to mentoring, like many times you pick a mentor, right? But when it comes to sponsors, 
sponsors choose you. Mm -hmm. You don't choose your sponsor, right? And the difference between a sponsor and a mentor is a mentor usually loves to give you advice and pushes you and, and, and sharpens you. However, a sponsor is someone who vouches for you when you're not with her or with him, mm -hmm. right? It's someone who, who is usually ranked higher in the org. And when there is a promotion, when a promotion opens up, she or he is talking for you and is vouching for you and saying, oh, by the way, like Jeff is such a great software engineer and we have this software engineering management position open. I highly recommend him. Right. He's wearing your T-shirt. Right. So that's what I talk about sponsors is when she or he is vouching for you, especially when you're not there. That's where you get things done. And that's what Dan Schulman did at PayPal. You think so? I mean, it sounds like this is something that could be you know, easily replicated throughout other organizations, provided the right sponsor came along and pushed it, a.k.a. some other CEO at some other company. Why, why do you think the pay gap has been such a hard thing to, to close and, and still is to to this day at the at the moment that's a great question <laughs> mm -hmm. i wish i knew the answers for every single company <laughs> out there jeff uh, my estimation and my perspective would be it's not a one size fits all absolutely not right and it depends on the company like i'm sure there are other companies today have other priorities right and we see these large tech companies that are quite obvious but they're burning a lot of cash they're not profitable they're raising more money their market cap is huge but of course i think their ceo's priority right now is to to break even right so unfortunately they are not prioritizing the pay gap they're not prioritizing employee resource groups that forces that, that, that emphasizes, that encourages professional development. So, yeah, I mean, it's hard. I mean, this reminds me of my conversation with my, with my friend and, and, and uh, CEO of Fiscal Note. His name is Tim Hong, and he was very frank and candid. He was like, Pedro, when we started the company, to be honest, I didn't focus on diversity because we were just making sure that we were having a viable business. Mm -hmm. You know, well, so, I get, as someone who started, you know, businesses, uh, you know, from nothing, uh, you know, turning them into an actual business, it takes work. And I, I can I can attest, you know, it's not the first thing that's on your mind, um, but it certainly should be something that's, you know, floating around your head. Because, um, yeah, like, you start the business with the with the intent that you're going to be successful with it. Right. I mean, no one starts a business saying I'm going to. I'm going to fail. So, you know, who the, you know, or I don't know, you know, uh, you, you, uh, you, while you don't know, you always intend. So you, you should have, you should be thinking about these things in, in my opinion, um, you know, at the, at the get go at the very least. Yeah. No. And, and especially when it comes to tech companies. And I believe that nowadays all, if not most fortune 500 companies have to be tech companies, right? Cause tech is disrupting every vertical, every mm -hmm. industry, and quoting my, my mentor and good friend and, and writing contributor, Steve Wesley, who was an early investor in Tesla. And Steve is uh, – he's a venture capitalist and was the state controller of California. Steve said, companies today in the 21st century 
if they want to have global revenues and if they want to be a global company, then absolutely they have to prioritize inclusion. They mm-hmm. have to prioritize creating this culture of belonging where people bring their whole selves to work, where they feel safe and saying, oh, I am proud of being a Peruvian or like, oh, like I go to church or like, oh, like I'm a refugee. You know, all these things that make people unique, they need to feel comfortable sharing that with their colleagues, coworkers and bosses. So that's what Steve emphasizes. Like if you're a big company today, you have to embrace it because sooner or later, if you haven't expanded globally yet, you have to have global employees and cosmopolitan inclusive people to produce inclusive products, right? If you have a bunch of, going back to the software engineers, right? If you have a bunch of like 45 year old software engineers and product managers that are creating products for 20 year olds, well, there's probably a gap or a mismatch there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm sitting here. Sh- I'm, I'm sitting here listening to you and nodding my head in agreement, because everything I, I I'm definitely I am on board with everything you just said, and I think it's spot on. I want to move to a slight, a similar topic, slightly different, which uh, you know we've seen that uh, women and other minorities, Latinx and uh, people of color, still to date have a much harder time raising venture capital. Uh, you know, to start new businesses. Uh, and while while it certainly has improved, there are a number of women-led investor groups and things like that, and they're uh, out there. It's still very difficult. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts as to, you know, ways we can, uh, that, that, that venture capitalists can, uh, can improve relations um, and, 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 you know, whether that just be getting more um, minority groups and women in front of them or or what 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 it will it take to kind of to bridge that great question it's it's similar to a supply and demand problem and it goes back to unconscious bias mm-hmm. people like to hang around people they're similar to right like you like right. to hang out with people who share your common interests and yeah, I'm, I mean, we all, to a certain extent, are a result of that, right? Like, I love sports, hence I'm going to hang out with people that love sports because I love swimming, I love playing tennis, I love playing golf, I love playing soccer. <laughs> and so the same thing with venture capital, right? Like, investing in startups, it, they do their due diligence, but look at venture capitalists today in Silicon Valley and in New York City and other major tech hubs. Yeah, the vast majority of them are baby boomers caucasians you know male and uh, unfortunately i think they're doing better but still it's hard because many of their of their potential investments and many of their sourcing right is they're they're not latino they're not african-american they're not women so that's that's definitely that's definitely (laughs) true yeah and that's what i was just going to kind of get also say was like because there's because they're surrounded by people who are very similar to them, it makes it difficult to break through that 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 barrier, if you will. Um, yeah, their their deal yeah. flow exactly. And their I, deal flow. I yeah, can, their deal flow. I can um, relate to this because I, so my Stanford professor lecturer at the time, her name is Rebecca Wang, and I've been super blessed and grateful to have her as a friend, and she's a venture capitalist, 
and she's doing amazing work with her fund. And she was telling me that there is this over like $2 trillion gap that if venture capitalists start investing in products that are going to be heavily used by women, then there would be a better ROI. And I mean, look at the research today, right? I think it's like 65% of decision-making for like purchasing power. Right. In the house, in the household, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. It's controlled by women. Yeah. (laughs) And and when you look at, which is, sorry, I uh I just, I just wanted to make this also when you, because what you're saying is right. Like, but it, it goes back even to like traditional you know advertising and like when 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 there were you know when brands would would uh you know back in the 90s 80s 70s you know on the tv you know everything's really directed all those ads were directed at women because they knew that they had the purchasing power so so, but yeah Yeah. continue yeah 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 exactly and and well, this reminds, this reminds me of a of a joke. I don't know if it's appropriate, but <laughs> in Peru, basically, Peru unfortunately is a very chauvinistic culture still today, right? But in Peru, people say the man is the head of the house, but the woman is the neck. Like the woman really <laughs> is the one who des- decides everything. Right, where um, you're going, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, um, what I was saying is, yeah, like there is this gap. And that's why I became an investor as well, because when I was talking to a lot of my fellow South American tech founders or uh, Latinx, African-American women founders, they would say the same thing, Jeff. They would say, people love giving me advice, but when it comes to actually sponsoring, vouching, investing their money in me, no one does it, right? So Mm -hmm. I was tired of hearing the story and I started myself becoming an active tech investor, an active angel investor. And I, I funded companies like Kiwi that were started by uh, founders from Colombia, right? From Latin America. And I've invested in FeedFM, started by Japanese, like Asian American female immigrants and like Nadine West, Mexican American. So that's what we need to do more and more is like, rather than just being a mentor, we have to be sponsors of people. Gotcha. That makes a lot of sense. I think, yeah, we definitely need more sponsors to stand up and be like, you know what? This, what this person's working on is really great. And I'm going to invest not only some advice, but time and money into into it as well. And I, I you know, the, the results, I mean, the results will, 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 I guess, speak for themselves in terms of, uh, but I think people will be uh, pleasantly surprised, at least based on, the data that's out there to date uh, about you know these businesses doing well uh, led by women uh, and other uh, minorities. Now, yep. I want to I want to wrap this up before we get to the lightning round uh, with a couple with with two with a two kind of part question. Uh, if you were speaking, let's say, with an executive at a Fortune 500 100 company. That's currently facing a diversity and inclusion problem. What would what would be the first thing, uh, or what would be the first few things you would tell them to help them uh, fix it, remedy it? And at the second part of the question is the same type of thing, but for a founder at a growing startup, let's say Series A, what what should they be looking for so they don't so it doesn't so inclusion and diversity 
don't become an issue at their company? Great questions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, first I would ask questions. I would I would ask um, for the for the startup. I would ask how inclusive and diverse is your founding team, mm-hmm. right? If, if it's a if it's you know if all of them are males and in their fifties and, and and they say they're struggling in hiring Latinx or they're struggling in, in hiring female leaders, then well, it comes to no surprise, right? Like a lot of the millennials and Gen Zs that are thinking today is they're like, oh, I don't want to work for a founding team that it's all, you know, they're all monotonous, right? They're, they're mm-hmm. homo homogeneous, right? So, um, I think that's the first question that I would ask. And, and secondly, I would, I would tell them, like is the founding team advocating for inclusion and and are their early hires very open-minded and they're cosmopolitan do they have diversity of background right like are they all stanford engineers that were born and raised in palo alto versus are they from different schools right not only berkeley stanford and harvard are good schools but there are many other good schools that may not be top five top ten schools but they have kids from all over the world right and then when it comes to the corporation, the Fortune 500, yeah, I would ask and I would tell them the same thing. Like, is your chief diversity officer directly reporting to the CEO? And does your CEO know the business benefits of having a representative leadership team? And the last question would be, is is their CEO sponsoring the ERGs, the employee research groups, the affinity groups? that have like Latinos and allies, that have African-Americans and allies, veterans and allies, because that's really important is having that executive sponsorship, um, Jeff. And I've seen, the, I've, seen, I've seen this in so many companies and that's what inspires me to work every day is because even Fortune 500 companies that are f- super famous, that you would recognize their name, um, you know what they're doing for their like Latino Hispanic Heritage Month? They're just having a salsa party for like four hours in a mariachi band. Hmm. And I have nothing against dancing. I, I love to dance. <laughs> but Me too. I their love C- dancing. But <laughs> their CEO's not going to expand the budget for next year because there's no real business benefit to that, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's another Fortune 500 company during the Hispanic Heritage Month and where they hired me and another thought leader on mentoring and on coaching and on sponsorship and on professional development, right? They're investing. So guess which yeah. CEO is going to sponsor more? Absolutely the one that's more business driven. And yeah, they're having a salsa party, but they're also having professional development workshops. Right, right, right. Ab- yeah, absolutely. I think you like it's it, you, not only are we talking about being inclusive and having a diverse workforce and and paying people who are doing the same job whether no matter what gender you know they are the same amount but it's also you know investing in those people to to help them be better right it, that's just at the core of it you know because that's just keeping good company culture keeping your employees uh motivated and uh with and and, and, ha- and keeping morale high you know so th- these yeah. all, the, all these kind of work together in yes, that and th- th- those would be the things that I would tell the the Fortune 500 company, and I would reemphasize with you and the audience that this is not an issue of us against them, and this is not an issue 
against, you know, oh, we have uh, negative feelings against Caucasian males in their 50s. No, 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 no. We're all in this together, right? And we mm-hmm. should focus on what unites us as humans, right? Rather than segregating or dividing us with, oh, this is just the African-American group or this is just the women's at Google, but mm-hmm. focusing on allies, focusing and closing those gaps and connecting those dots, that's what I really focus on. Because if we really want to solve this issue, it's not a, this is what Pat Gulsinger, the VMware CEO says, it's not a us versus them or this, them versus us, but it's, it's really focusing on together as a whole, right? And, and be having this relational mindset, Jeff, has helped me in my success and my businesses rather than being transactional. That's how I got my first investor in my first company. That's how I got my first board member. That's how I recruited people is to be finding honest, same for me. <laughs> same I had this I have the same exact experience. Um, by 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 investing time in building relationships with people and working with them and that's and that's how that's how I that's how I did it as well. Yeah. It yeah. works. It yeah. works. The proof is in the pudding, right? <laughs> exactly. And finding commonalities, right? Like Frank Baxter, who was my first investor, like he's an 80-year-old man, super successful, amazing, born and raised in the U.S. Very different from me, right? I'm from Peru, born and raised in Peru. It's a developing country. It's a poor country and very different. But we found this commonality that he was learning Spanish. And my first language is Spanish. So I started sort of like teaching him a little bit of Spanish and stuff. And yeah, you know, just finding those things that make you human in common is much more valuable, Jeff, than being, oh, you know, this is just for women, just for Latinos. And because people then feel uh, attacked, right? Like we don't want Caucasian males to, to, to feel attacked that it's their fault. No, no, no. This is not an us versus them. We're all in this together. Nice. I think I think that's a great way to leave off uh you know end this part of the podcast but we're now making our way into the lightning round which of course is supported by wix you can create a professional website today at wix.com that's wix.com so pedro whenever you're ready you let me know and we'll get started sure (laughs) these are quick answers (laughs) here here we go would you ever fly to the moon or another planet yes Book or ebook? Book. <laughs> I had a feeling you were going to say that, considering you're yeah, an I don't, author. I don't all. like screens at all, actually. <laughs> I When I play tennis or I'm hanging out with my family friends, oh, I, I purposely lose my phone. <laughs> <laughs> nice. All right. Current number of unanswered emails in your inbox? Uh, not too many. I think it's like eight. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Uh, are you one of those inbox zero people, or do you just try and keep it tidy? I, I keep it tidy, but well, I have like seven emails, so if you add <laughs> all of them, probably have like forty emails. <laughs> uh, all right. Do you have any secret talents? <laughs> uh, well, I'm pretty good at learning languages quickly, but I don't know if it's a secret. I mean, my close friends know that, like, I'm learning Chinese every week and other languages. <laughs> but, That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> All right, last last one. If animals could talk, which one would be the most annoying? <laughs> uh, uh, a moose. <laughs> a moose. Oh, that I've never heard that one before. I like that. 
I could see that. It's kind of like a dumb, kind of stupid voice, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> no offense to any moose out there. Uh, <laughs> all right. Well, Pedro, it's been so great having you on the podcast. I really enjoyed it. I learned a lot uh, about this topic. I think it's super fascinating. It's definitely something that we all need to be keeping an eye on and just be aware of that, you know, um, not to let our biases kind of get in the way of these types of things. And just to be inclusive in just in business, but in just in general, too. And uh, I really yeah, appreciate yeah, you being on. Business practice. <laughs> yeah. So if uh, if anyone wants to get Thank in touch so with you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Uh, thanks again. If anyone wants to get in touch with you, what's the best way for them to do that? PedroEspinoza.com okay. with a Z. And if we'll you want to learn more. We'll have that in, in, the, in the description as well. Yeah. Thank you. That works. And then. If you want to learn about the book, uh, go to inclusiveadvantage.com. And my email is pr at pedroespinoza.com. And awesome. the book is on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Walmart, Costco. Mm -hmm. What's the name of the book again? Give us the name of the book. Differences That Make a Difference by Pedro David Espinoza and Jorge Titinger. Awesome. Well, Pedro, thanks again for being on. I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you. Have a great one. Thanks for listening to Techie Bites. Stay tuned for more episodes every Tuesday with awesome interviews and conversations about technology and business. If you like what we're doing, please consider supporting the podcast at anchor.fm slash besttechie and or by leaving a rating and review on iTunes. Both ways help us greatly and are much appreciated. So thank you. Until next time, we'll see you. And remember, remember, take care of your computers.